right, the scripture reading for today is Hebrews 12, 3 through 17. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral and or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired, it, desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the great football coach Tom Landry was quoted as saying this, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. There's really two types of coaches. If you've been in athletics at any point in your life, you will likely know this. There's, on the one hand, the player's coach. Coaches that want their players to love them, that want to be liked by their players. You know something that's interesting about players' coaches? They almost never win. <laughs> There's, however, tough coaches. Coaches that care for their players, but because they care for their players, they do what Landry says. They make their players do what they don't want to do. They train them. They discipline them. They put them through the grind of the off-season and weight training and on and on and on so that they can become better, so that they can win, so that they can achieve what they have always wanted to achieve. It's one of the reasons that I think coaches in so many of our lives have had such a valuable role to play. They teach us discipline. They train us. They ask us to endure when things are painful. That's what's happening in Hebrews. These Christians that this author wrote to 2,000 or so years ago were having to endure. They were having to endure some hard times, some struggles, and they're realizing as followers of Jesus Christ that this metaphor that Jesus uses for being a Christian, carrying one's cross, 
means that life as a Christian is not always sunshine and roses. And, and these original readers were being tempted to go back to the old ways, to give up, to stop enduring. In their case, it was the old ways of Judaism. They were being tempted to give up. Just remember, as we've studied through Hebrews, a few of the verses in this letter in which the author encourages the readers, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the author also encourages us, you and me, to endure. Take, for example, chapter 3. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an humble, evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 4. While the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Chapter 6, we desire each one of you to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. Chapter 10, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This author again and again and again is reminding them, encouraging them to stick with it, to keep the faith, to keep going, to endure. With that in mind, last week, at the beginning of chapter 12, the author compares the Christian life to a race. A race that we have to run with endurance. I compared it last week to an ultra marathon. And the author tells us in chapter 12, verse 2, that we can run the race if we fix our eyes on Jesus. Verse 2, the great champion and hero of Hebrews. Life is like an ultra marathon, guys, isn't it? It's not a sprint. It's a long, long race. And what this particular text that was read for us is teaching is that as we run, as we run the ultra marathon of life, God, our Father, helps us by acting in some ways as a coach, by training us. By disciplining us so that we can endure. God knows the race is long. He's the one that sets the race before us. We saw that in chapter 12, verse 1. God knows, to mix my athletic metaphors, that life is like a 12-round boxing match. And he knows that if we're going to make it, we're going to need training. We're going to need discipline. And so he brings us into his gymnasium. That's the point of these Verses, chapter 12, 3 through 17. God disciplines us out of love so that we can finish the race. God disciplines us out of love so that we can finish the race. Listen, some of you are facing the Lord's discipline right now. Um, you might not be aware, actually, that it is from the Lord. So perhaps today, the Holy Spirit will help you gain clarity about some of the hard things in your life. Some of you are experiencing the discipline of the Lord, but you're not taking it seriously. Maybe today, the Holy Spirit will help you to be trained by what you're going through. Some of you need encouragement this morning that the Lord's discipline is worth it. Maybe today, and I've prayed for you, that today the Lord in his love for you will tell you what verse 11 says, that discipline will lead to the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So let me show you two things about these verses as we consider God's loving discipline. Discipline is rooted in belonging. That's the first thing. 
And then the second thing is that discipline is intended for change. Okay, so first, discipline is rooted in belonging. The author tells us there in verse 3 and in verse 4, not to grow weary, don't get tired in this ultra marathon of life. Why? Well, he says, because God will make sure that we have the training we need, that we have the discipline we need to make it to the end of the race. Really quickly, a comment on that word that you see in verse 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11. Discipline. That's a great word in the original language. The original language the New Testament's written in is Greek. The English translation discipline is a decent translation. And I usually don't do this, but I'm going to do it because I think it's helpful. The Greek word is the word paideia. Paideia. And paideia is a term that refers to the act of providing guidance for responsible living. It's the act of providing guidance for responsible living. So if you read the word discipline and you just think about like the rod, you've got too narrow a view of what the word means. The word paideia can be translated training as well. It involves the ideas of instruction and guidance and, and preparation. As my children grow up, I've been doing a little bit of reading and a good bit of thinking about raising children and particularly raising sons into adulthood. And and one of the things I've been reflecting on is that virtually every culture, virtually every culture throughout the history of our planet has had some form of paideia for their sons, especially as they reach adulthood. And for most cultures throughout world history, a part of this journey into manhood is a trial. That a 12 or a 13 or a 14-year-old boy would be put through in order to instruct him that being an adult requires responsibility. Being an adult requires doing things that are hard. And so, as an example, the Native Americans... When their children were 13 years old and had already mastered the art of horseback riding, the Cherokees, for example, would send their sons with their horse out into the wilderness and leave them there, instructing them to kill their first buffalo, skin it, do all the things they do with the buffalo, and then find their way back to the camp. Another example is the ancient Spartans. Now, you might know every male in Sparta was going to have one job. Someone tell me what it was. To be a soldier. To be a soldier. They were to be fighters. And because they knew that their boys were going to grow up to be soldiers, at age 12, Spartan boys were initiated. Their initiation means they were sent out for one week again into the wild. And classic Spartans here. They were deprived of all their clothing, except for a red cloak. And they were forced to make their own beds from reeds that they found out in the wild. And, and to ready them for a life in the field, these boy soldiers were encouraged to scavenge. And they were even allowed to steal their food, though if they were caught, they got punished. They were being trained for the life that was in front of them. And part of our cultural malaise is that we've abandoned, in large part, this trial mentality for our sons in specific. And so we have a lot of juvenile delinquent 30-year-olds, but that's a different sermon for a different day. That's the idea behind the word paideia, training, discipline. So thinking about that, 
the author tells us that in order to help us run the race that we're on with endurance, in order to help us finish, God will give us paideia. God will give us discipline. So here's the question. What does God's discipline look like? What does God's discipline look like? It it can have many manifestations, but in these verses, the author's very clear, isn't he? Discipline, training, paideia, as a follower of Jesus, often looks like us suffering, experiencing hurt and hardship. Can I put this forthrightly to you? God hurts those whom he loves for their own greater future good. The hard things in your life are very often, not always, but very often, ways that God is, as the text says, chastising you and disciplining you and training you. And here's the key thing I want you to hear this morning. God disciplines you. God gives you paideia, training, because you belong to him. Because he loves his children, of which he has made you one through adoption into his family. God disciplines us because he's a perfect, loving father. Look at the text. Look at the quote from the book of Proverbs that the author gives us in verse 5. It says, my what? My son. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for why shouldn't you regard it lightly? The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. And then verse 7 through 11 are really an explanation of that quote from Proverbs. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure in the race. Why is God disciplining me? Verse 7 tells us he's, he's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? And then he tells us in verse 8 that if you don't receive discipline, if your life is nothing but sunshine and roses... The, the contradictory idea that pops into our head is if our life is going well, that's a sign that God loves me. But oftentimes, God's wrath is revealed in letting you have and do whatever you want. That's what Romans chapter 1 says, by the way. Paul says, people turned away from the living God, and so God gave them over in judgment to living the life that they've always wanted. Your own best life now is not necessarily a sign of God's favor. It can be a sign of God's wrath. That's what the Bible says. The counterintuitive idea is that rather, if you don't experience suffering and hardship and paideia from God, then you're an illegitimate child. That's what verse 8 says. If you do experience training and discipline from God, which comes in the form often of suffering, you are his child. That's the equation here. And then the author continues, verse 9 and 10, with this argument from the lesser to the greater. We can all understand this, can't we? Even good earthly dads discipline their children. And they do it because they want to train them up for their good, just like most cultures in the history of the world have attempted to do this, and just like we as dads attempt to do this. And so the author says, if that's true, shouldn't we expect the greatest dad, God our Father, to discipline us for our good? We know what it's like. We've been around kids who have not been disciplined haven't we? 
We've experienced that early in my ministry. (laughs) This isn't about any of you, so settle down. Early in my ministry, another church, another time, uh, I was an intern at a church where the elders would very often go visit people in their homes. and, And I remember going with my pastor to visit a particular family who was dealing with some issues, and we sat down to talk to them. But we couldn't get through like two sentences, guys, because it was like World War III in there. The kids are just everywhere, going crazy, going ballistic. And at one point, the mom, I know I'm veering on dangerous ground here, the mom said, shh, shh, just go over and time out and, and think about what you're doing. And, of course, the kid ignores mom, doesn't go into time out, continues to do everything necessary to, to interrupt and, and destruct the possibility of the conversation. There was very little discipline. It was chaos, and it didn't lead to a loving environment guys. It led to, it led to difficulty and, and pain and, and hurts. Good parents want to discipline their children. They want to train their children. And that involves, in part, giving children difficult experiences for their longer-term good. That's what this text says. Because God is a great father, and because God loves you, he will train you and discipline you through hardship so that we might grow into holiness as we run our race. Verse 10, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. I know this is hard to believe, but here's what Hebrews 12 and many other parts of the Bible say. God's discipline of us through suffering means he is more invested in our good than even we are. God's discipline of us sometimes through suffering, means he's more invested in our good, even than we are. Let me me make a few qualifications and then move on to application in point two. Two qualifications, okay, to this idea. Here's the first one. Not all suffering that we endure is discipline from God. Uh, Sometimes, and we saw this this week, didn't we? Evil and terrible things just happen because we live in a horrible and sinful and wicked world. So just as an example, and I understand how sensitive this is, I feel sensitive to it as well. To attempt to apply the events this week in Uvalde as God's discipline would be unwise and perhaps even wicked. That happened because of the work of the evil one in this world. Yes, God is sovereign over all things, but that happened because of the work of the evil one in this world, and our response to that should primarily be one of grief, one of tears. So not all of your hard things are intended as nothing but discipline. Some of them are just hard things that stink because life is broken. That's the first qualification. Here's the second one. These verses are not teaching. And a lot of churches and a lot of teaching I've heard in my life says that these verses are teaching that when we endure hardship, we should always be happy about it. That's not what these verses say, guys. It's not what they say. It says that when we endure hardship, God will use those hardships to train us, but not that we should put on a smiley face all the time and pretend that it's all happy. We don't always have to be chipper as followers of Jesus. He says in verse 11, for the moment, all discipline is painful. (laughs) It's painful rather than pleasant. Enduring suffering is not pleasant. And so can I just free you in your conscience? It is okay for you to feel sad and tired 
and to feel the hurt of life. That is okay. You don't always have to be joyful. You don't always have to be chipper. But don't give up. So there's, with those two qualifications, let's move to the second point. The first is that God disciplines those whom he loves. Discipline is intended for those who belong to him. And the second point is that discipline is intended for change. And this is where I basically want to apply the first point, okay? So if God, if God gives us paideia out of his love for us, what are we supposed to do with that? We're to, the text says, submit to his training as a means of our own growth and change. Discipline is intended for change. Look again in verse 11, okay? This is key. And I want you to notice how it's phrased. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, here's the key clause. To those who have been trained by it. Discipline is only helpful for those who are actually being trained by the discipline. There are two possible responses to God's training, to God's discipline. One is to be trained by it, to submit to it in faith so that we are changed over our lives into holy, joyful people. The other is to fail to take advantage of God's paideia and to drop out of the race. So one response produces change. The other response produces stagnation. I want to talk about that a little more. Let's talk about the second, the negative response first. We can be, verse 11, that literal word training is the word gumnazo, gymnasium. We can be in God's gymnasium, and we can receive God's discipline and still not be trained by it because we respond poorly. That's what this text is warning us against. So what are some ways in our lives that we might respond poorly to God's discipline? Look at what the passage says. Go to verse 5. One is, we cannot take it seriously. Look in verse 5, the Proverbs quote. Do not regard, what? Lightly, unseriously, as a trivial thing, the discipline of the Lord. That verse is telling us that it's certainly possible for us to pay no attention to God's efforts to train us via sending us hard things. So I know a lot of men, I'm like this, hate going to the doctor when something's wrong. Any of you other men like this? And, and I'll often complain to Marianne, this, my, my arm hurts. It's driving me crazy. My arm hurts. My arm's, you know, I can't move my arm this morning, honey. And she's like, go see your freaking doctor. I'm like, no, nah, I'll be fine. Just shot a bourbon, good to go. And uh, I, I have my own medicine. And, uh, and, and, you know, I just won't respond I, because I hate going to the doctor. And, and I, I'll still complain about it, of course, but I'm, I'm not willing to do anything about it. I regard lightly the symptom of whatever is wrong with me in my life. You can come talk to me about that later. I need some rebuke there. It, it's possible for us to do that spiritually. It's possible for us to be trained by God and to not listen or hear or move in any way as a result. It might be worth asking, is that happening in your life? Are you ignoring God's chastisements? Are you taking them lightly? When we experience God's training, it's worth 
asking, what might God be saying to me through this difficult experience? The famous C.S. Lewis quote is relevant from his great book, The Problem of Pain, where Lewis writes, God speaks to us in our joys, but shouts at us in our suffering. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. One way you cannot respond well to God's training is by taking it lightly. A second way is by becoming wearied. Wearied. Look in verse 5 again. Nor be weary when reproved by him. And, And the context here, I think, informs us that weariness here means weariness to the point of dropping out. Weariness to the point of giving up the race. We know what this is, don't we? It's when suffering comes and we say, I cannot take this anymore. I am done. It's when we're utterly discouraged. It's when we faint under it all. It's when our hearts give in. And what happens when our hearts give in is we begin to internally wonder if God is good, if God is fair, if God is for us, or if God is against us. That's what these Hebrews were experiencing. They're saying, hey, we thought when we became Christians that we were entering into this marvelous life, but look what's happening to us. Is this right? Can the Christian faith be true? They were fainting. They were weary because God was training them. Now, again, let me be careful here. It is fine to be wearied. But if we stay wearied, we will not endure. That's the point. The point is we need to use God's training to strengthen ourselves, not just to despair. We can't give in to the idea that God is deserting us because our lives have become difficult. The great early church preacher Chrysostom put it this way. It is those very things in which they suppose they have been deserted by God that should make them confident that they have not been deserted. Our weariness is intended to lead to faith in God, not mistrust of God. One other way that we can respond poorly to God's discipline is by becoming bitter. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Listen, this is one of the saddest things I see as a pastor, and I do see it. People who respond to trials over the long term by becoming embittered. And and as people get older, frankly, this becomes more and more of a temptation. The hard things wear them down, and they become more difficult to deal with, more self-centered, bitter even towards those who are trying to help them, and end up isolated or worse. The author saying training should not lead to those responses. Rather, positively, the point of God's training is to produce change. We must respond to it in repentance and in faith. That's the positive way. Look at verse 11, 12, 13. That's what these verses are getting at. I mentioned that word trained is the literal word that we get gymnasium from. And then verse 12 and 13, those verses elaborate on this idea. Imagine someone who's, say, suffering from some sort of rheumatic condition. They have a lot of joint pain, right? Their knees are feeble, as the text says. There's a lameness to them. What does that person need? That person needs an accurate diagnosis and treatment. And a part of that person's treatment is not just to pop pills. It's physical therapy right? It's physiology. They need not only to have the disease treated in the joints, but to go through various exercises and and movements, activity 
that will strengthen the joints and the muscles again. That's the idea behind these last few verses. Picture it. The picture given here is that God, like any good physical therapist, like any good workout trainer, like any good doctor, is examining our lives. And and he's finding what is drooping. He's finding what is weak. He's finding what needs strengthening. And he has us in his gym. A number of years ago, uh, Marianne had spent some time with a guy who helped her curate her own personal workout routine. And so I went and met with this guy. And this guy's like just jacked, huge, in-shape dude. And he takes me through, okay, here's what you need. I need to find out what you need, Luke. And so, you know, he has me doing planks, which stunk. He has me doing burpees. He has me doing push-ups. He's taking me through a workout just watching the whole time. Not a very fun experience, by the way. But the reason he's doing this is so that he could find out areas in which I needed to be strengthened, areas in which I was weak. That's the exact image behind verses 12 and 13. God brings us into his gymnasium, and he points out weak areas, and the response we're being called to is to have his training, to submit to his discipline, to do what he tells us, to grow in strength. What does that mean? Here's what it means, friends. Listen, practically speaking, anytime something hard is happening in your life, anytime, anytime we're experiencing loss or suffering, I think it's appropriate to tell our spirits, I'm in the gymnasium. (laughs) Where do I need strengthening? What is going wrong? Where do I need growth? God often, again, not always, but often, sends us affliction because he knows areas in which we are weak and need strengthening. It's healthy for us, then, to ask ourselves, when we're being affected by God's discipline, particular spiritual diagnostic questions, is there an area in my life in which I need to repent? Have I been neglecting the Lord? In my personal walk with him? Have I become proud? Have I become numb spiritually? Have I become self-satisfied? Have I sinned against someone I'm in a relationship with and have not restored that relationship? Those are the kinds of questions that God wants us to ask ourselves via the training he's giving us, which often looks like hardship. And then, of course, we work with the Spirit of God to grow. Verse 12, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. We begin positive exercises of repentance and faith. That's what verses 14 through 17 are getting at. We pursue peace. We work for holiness. We avoid sexual immorality. These are the places where God uses our training, our discipline to give us strength to endure. These are the places he is most interested in shaping us into holiness. So how are you experiencing God's Discipline. Where in his gymnasium do you need to be strengthened? In what parts of your life? Think about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. In what parts of your life is God applying paideia to sanctify you? Does it hurt? It often does, doesn't it? Is it fun? (laughs) It often isn't, is it? But remember, God's doing it. Because he's your father. Because he loves you. Sometimes that's just really challenging to believe. Which is why I'm glad we have Jesus. 
Jesus knows this experience. Jesus ran his race. Jesus was trained by God. Jesus suffered and came under his father's loving discipline, and Jesus was able to endure. This is so true that Hebrews in chapter 5 says Jesus had to learn obedience through what? Through what he suffered. Jesus had to learn obedience through what he suffered, but now, because of who Jesus is, the exalted Lord of the world who has finished his race, and because Jesus has sent us his very self via the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our counselor, our abiding helper, we have help in the race. We have someone who knows what it is like to suffer without getting any answers for why. We have someone who knows what it is like to live in God's gymnasium. Someone who learned obedience through what he suffered. God himself underwent the race he asks us to run. And God himself helps us to endure. That's good news. This song we're going to sing in a moment is one we've done before at Christ Church, but it's been a while. It's a very old hymn that I love. It's called, Jesus, I, My Cross Have Taken. And you'll notice there's no chorus. It's just six verses. And my favorite verses, well, they're all great, but verse three is particularly helpful, as well as the first half of verse four. Let me close by reading that. Man may trouble and distress me. Twill, it will, but drive me to thy breast, God. Life with trials hard may press me. Heaven will bring me sweeter rest. Oh, tis not in grief to harm me while thy love is left to me. Oh, twere not in joy to charm me were that joy unmixed with thee. Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come disaster, scorn, and pain. In thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. Now, I find it hard to sing those verses, to be totally honest. Partly because they're old words and you might not understand them fully, but partly because the thing you're saying there is pretty insane. What these verses mean is that grief cannot ultimately hurt me when I have God's love. And any joy I experience isn't worth it if God's not there. And if the good life leaves me and terrible experiences come, but we have God, everything will be well. If that is true, and it is, we can run the race. We can endure. We can keep going. Let's pray.